If there's one thing we've learned from Doctor Who, it's that education matters. Access to a quality education makes a difference in every aspect of someone's life. It can be the determining factor between despair and hope, poverty and stability, even death and life. Doctor Who fans can help help change change this. This October, representatives from your favorite Doctor Who podcasts and some very special guests are coming together to record podcast commentaries for the stories of season 26. The final season of the classic series of Doctor Who. That's 14 episodes of Classic Who with more than 50 podcasters, authors, and fans participating. These special podcast commentaries won't be available on any one show's feed. We're offering them exclusively to listeners who provide a donation to an organization working to improve improve access access to education. education. Here's what you have to do. Make a donation of $10 or more to to the the Malala Malala Fund Fund. or another of our suggested organizations. Then, send a copy of your receipt to GallifreyStands at RealityBombPodcast.com and you'll get information on where to download your special commentary podcast later this month. You can find more information and details about the various organizations we're supporting at realitybombpodcast.com slash who for schools. Last year in the Doctor Who episode Rosa, we were reminded that an education makes you unstoppable. Let's help more people to be unstoppable. And just like the doctor, let's continue to be kind. To be kind. Everyone! I'm going to kill my brother! Drinks are on me! Yeah. 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 Ah, we got oh. on a secret mission. We've got us a secret plan. We're going to go and slay your bro as quietly as we can. We'll speak up and then surprise him before it's time to think. We're off on away. But first, another drink. Da 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 da. We're off on a secret mission, a totally secret scheme. We'll slide you in your next of kin and quietly make him scream. He's gotta be swift and stealthy, so not a resisting. We're off on away. But first, another drink. Da 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 da. Secret, secret, hush, hush, hush. Secret, secret. Oh, we're off on a secret mission. It's some kind of secret plot. We're gonna go. Yeah. And then. Exactly. Who are we? I forgot. We're gonna go kill the. Someone. My brother. The rat. I think. Lower your voice. Hey, what are all these dudes doing in front of Madalena's room for? Yeah, what is it, a party? The, the Queen's interviewing new consorts. Next! Oh, gosh, she's the worst. Hey, you know what? The Queen is really proud of her feet. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I was going to take her socks off. Ask oh, to kiss her feet! <laughs> That's an order for me, King! <laughs> oh!
Welcome back to Who and Company. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. And it's Halloween. Well, it is if you're listening to this on the day this episode drops. Brent, are you dressing up for Halloween 2019? We had a party this past Saturday, and so uh, Tammy and I, she was uh, Shirley Temple, and I was the good ship lollipop. <laughs> so I had my sailor costume on, and we had a, a I had a box around me that had SS lollipop written on it, and uh, we actually won the contest. Got like a $25 bar tap, so that was awesome. Brent, I'm going to need pictures of that <laughs> i've got them she made me take some <laughs> well after a brief stint at my library as fester adams as part of a group costume where we were the adams family uh <laughs> i will be handing out candy on halloween proper as a b because i have that costume handy excellent uh, without further ado, our guest this month is a writer, comedian, Whovian, and gamer. She can be heard as the Doctor on the Game of Rassilon podcast. It's Riley Silverman. We'll talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Drew's ignorance of theme parks. So true. Riley's history with Doctor Who, gaming, and Fury from the Deep. Before we get to Riley's pick of the month, the musical fantasy extravaganza that is Galavant. Oh God, Prince! I can't get the theme song out of my head! That's coming up right after this. What's with the awkward silence? That's what? That's what? Speak. Well, I'm, I just think, and I'll say this very respectfully, sir. You've got to man up. You've got to butch up for her a little bit. Me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dad. I am Mr. Butch. Oh, poop. I got gravy on my tummy flowers. <gasps> Oh, my God, you're right. Come with me, sire. Holy cow, this is your room? What's that smell? Testosterone. Mmm, musky. She's a writer, gamer, and comedian. Riley Silverman, welcome to Who and Company. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've, been wanting you, we've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. <laughs> well, you succeeded. <laughs> Well, great. And that, you know, that's kind of the thing is when we start these interviews, it's really important to us that, you know, our, our guests are, in fact, on the other end of uh, the Skype call. It, yeah, it, that's it, a it really important occasionally part. where I'm not there, but our guests usually are. This is, this is completely off topic. Uh, we know you're a, a Star Wars fan and, you know, having seen social media that you have gotten a chance to visit Galaxy's Edge just for us East Coasters. What's it like? Well, first of all, I, I have news for you. There is an East Coast location. There's one in Florida. Um, but what? Yeah, there's one at the the, the studio uh, resort, the Walt Disney Studio one or whatever, like an MGM, what used to be MGM, and now it's like Hollywood Studios or whatever. I had no idea. Yeah. All, all, everyone on social media, I see everyone's heading to California to go. Is, is California's better no they're they're actually almost literally identical it's to the point where it's weird because i have friends of mine who were visiting the one in florida and it was weird to see them posting pictures of themselves standing in spots that look identical to a place that i've stood on my side of the country uh in fact the florida one is going to get the resistance ride sooner than the one in california is going to get it because they're going to get it at the start of december and we're not going to get it until mid-january huh I'm not actually uh, – I haven't been to either Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, it's it's not something that I, I – it, it, well, it's it's just not, not kind of a, a priority regardless, but the Star Wars aspect of it, like the Galaxy's Edge, that to me is uh, – it's a bit intriguing, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious. 
So I'm a big fan of it. I've gone a few times. I, I really like it. I, I do think that, like, if you're making your entire trip based around just going to Galaxy's Edge, you probably won't feel like you got your money's worth. But for me, as someone who... I mean, maybe you will. I don't know. Some people were really into it. But for me, as someone who... I have an annual pass at Disneyland now. I got one about a month and a half ago. And so I am able to kind of just, like, zip down the freeway and go to... It's like an hour drive or less, depending on traffic. And so I'm kind of able to, like, just drop in and also... So I like Disneyland enough that I like wandering the park and doing other Disney stuff. But as far as actual Galaxy's Edge, I really like it. It's it's pretty immersive. The only issues with it, the immersibility of it is that they are really strict about letting guests do any like convincing cosplay, which is like a Disneyland rule overall, which is different than like if you go to Universal Studios and you go to the Harry Potter park there, you are allowed to walk around Harry Potter in in like a hot like Hogwarts robes and tie. You can dress as if you're a student at the school and walk around and you're fine. But at Disneyland, they're a lot more strict about costumes because they really want to like make sure the guests understand who the cast members are and who the like the guests are. And I I get that to a degree because like if someone just walks in the park dressed around, dressed up like a princess, and then they're kind of like a jerk to a kid, like that could ruin that kid's vacation and that could also look badly on Disney. So I get it. But yeah, so it's weird because at Galaxy's Edge, they literally sell Jedi robes that you cannot wear in the park that you bought them in. <laughs> like, it's bizarre. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are some things you can wear. Like, they sell Ray's vest, and you can buy that, and you can wear that. And that's cool. But yeah, they have, like, a bunch of Jedi uh, costume pieces, and they have a bunch of Sith costume pieces. that, And they even have, like, Kylo's, like, like cowl and stuff. And you can't wear it. Like, you can buy it there, and then you can't wear it. So that part of it, because I'm someone who would love to go in kind of in cosplay and, like, pretend that I'm, like, somebody who's visiting this whole planet. So that part of it, like, I, I definitely have enough casual Star Wars clothes. Like, I, I went, last time I went, I wore this black, like, Rebel Alliance um, flight suit dress that I got from, like, Herder Universe, which is, like, who makes a lot of their clothes anyway. So, like, I was able in my mind to, like, be enough in character with this casual cosplay look to feel like I was immersed in it a little bit. Uh, there's some really cool stuff that happens. Like, there's, um, like, a Kylo Ren cosplayer, that like, not cosplayer, like, a cast member in costume as Kylo Ren will walk around with stormtroopers as, like, an escort, and they'll, like, hassle people in the park looking for the re- the res- resistance spy, and there's also a Chewie and a Ray that'll walk around kind of on the other side of the things, and the, the Chewie will mess with you. Like, I was waiting in line for food at one point, and the Chewbacca came up to me and, like, put his hand on my shoulder, and I just felt this, like, big piece of fur on my neck, and I turn around, and it's <laughs> Chewbacca. It's, like, the craziest <laughs> thing. And I've seen him do stuff where he'll, like, sneak up behind a guest, and then he'll, like, walk behind them crouching as if he's hiding behind them as they like sneak past stormtroopers so that kind of stuff is really fun there's a whole section where you can go and you can like build your own lightsaber which costs like two hundred dollars or you can go into a shop that they have where you can actually just buy like replicas of the movie lightsabers Mm-hmm. So, and, or you can like build your own droids. So it's like, that's kind of stuff. And that kind of stuff is really interesting because they have a whole like script they have to follow in character because the idea is supposed to be that this planet you're on, Batu is, 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 um, occupied by the first order, but the resistance is building a base there. And so a lot of the things like Jedi stuff, 
like the lightsabers, they refer to it at the workshop as like scrap metal because they can't officially sell lightsabers because the first order is there. And if you're at the lightsaber stand, like the little like like merchant booth, when the like stormtroopers come by or Kylo Ren comes by, the cast members will like hastily cover up their their desk and like hide their wares <laughs> as if like there's like so that element is really fun. I it's it's you know for me I love like buying blue milk and walking around drinking blue milk and i will say that like the millennium falcon ride itself is ultimately just like basically a glorified video game it's a simulator where you sit inside of it and like two people pilot two people run the guns two people are the engineers and that's awesome but like i'm looking forward to the new ride more but as as fine as as far as it's it's still cool to go i sat in the cockpit the millennium falcon like the first time i did it i like lost my mind you know but as cool as the ride is, like, I actually like the line more because when you get to the front of the line and they, like, break your group up into piloting groups, you go wait to go into the ship and you're essentially sitting in the, like, like the the midsection of the Falcon where, like, the, the, like, the gaming board is and, like, smuggling cargo stuff. So it feels like you're, like, sitting in the set of the movie. And that, for me, was like, I don't even need to ride the ride. I can just go hang out in that room for, like, 20 minutes at a time and I'm okay. <laughs> wow, that's really cool, Brent. Are you yeah. a um, a Disney person? Do you is this the kind of thing that you would you would go to? Yeah, I'd like to see it. Yeah, um, I haven't been down there in years and years and years. And uh, the wife was actually saying she'd like to go soon. So I don't know. Maybe within the next year or two, we'll probably head down there and check it out. A good number of my friends are are Disney fans, and so they'll go on a regular basis. You know, like maybe plan to go every two years or so and whatever is new and we get these wonderful pictures of the kids interacting with the characters yeah Um, i recommend going and i recommend doing it after the new ride opens up because i think the galaxy edge is a really cool part of the park but i do think people would be happy i think the new ride is supposed to be really really impressive and i think that i think a lot of people were disappointed with the new section when it opened because like i the the very common line that i've heard that i feel like is so common that i'm sure it was on a youtube video and everyone's repeating it to like act like like almost i'm trying to think of the word i'm looking for like almost like in a trolley manner but they're like oh it's just a shopping mall in one ride and i'm like well it's a shopping mall where you can buy a lightsaber and a droid so it's not like you know what i mean like but (laughs) i you know it it is a relatively new section and so it is kind of light on rides and stuff so it really is just the millennium falcon ride there's the ogus cantina which is the only place in disneyland that you can buy alcohol but you have to make reservations for it so it's really hard to get into it and I'm happy because they just finally Disneyland in, in general and Disney World are starting to add a lot more plant-based food to their menus in the park, and they just added finally like a really good casual plant-based wrap at one of the stands in Galaxy's Edge. So now I'm like, cool, I can actually eat here now, which is great. Nice. Yeah. So so on the game of Rassilon, you role play yeah. as a doctor. So I do. How, how is that, and what sort of prep do you do to get into that headspace? I mean, it's a it's strange when it comes to that because I don't actually do a lot of prep ahead of time because as a narrative role-playing game, it's still essentially like doing an improv show. So I really don't want to come in with too much pre-planned. So for me, I really just try to go with my gut and what I think the doctor would do in these situations. And that so far has gotten me as far we've gotten through a whole season. We just started our second season yesterday. We recorded our first episode for second season that we're launching early next year. And yeah, it's just, 
it's what would the doctor do? And it, I think it's better to kind of go in the moment with that than it is to try to pre-plan too much of what she's like. And I, I kind of cheated a little bit because I, I said in the very first episode that my doctor is essentially if I was cast as an actor to play the doctor. So I'm not trying to like put on the airs of another doctor. I'm putting on like what I would do if I was the doctor. So, so how would you describe your doctor? So character sheet wise, I, really modeled her after Tom Baker's doctor. And I, I think that's a pretty good like idea of where I'm at. I'm that Tom Bakery, I'm that later years Peter Capaldi type where I might make some snarky comments here and there, but I'm also willing to be a little bit of a goofball and like willing to kind of a, a lot of what I do I and I didn't know this was my thing until another cast member pointed it out. I'm really big on like getting my opponents caught in some sort of logical trap like i'll i'll do a lot of wordplay with them until they're like so confused that i've like gotten them wrapped around my finger which is fun because <laughs> i don't know of myself as someone who can do that but it's really fun to do in character with a british accent so <laughs> well let's talk about doctor who a little bit uh, when did you first watch it and uh what about the show resonated with you I got to the show a little bit later than a lot of people. I think I got to it, I want to say, around 2011, 2012. And what got me into it was I actually saw Torchwood first. And Mm. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. But my completionist brain was like, well, I want to watch the Doctor Who stuff that led up to this character being where he is. And so I wanted to find out that. And for a long time, I'd wanted to watch Doctor Who, but I thought I had to start with the 1963 version of it and no one ever told me I didn't have to so I just kept being like oh it's too much it's too much it's too much and then someone was like no you can start with 2005 and so I just I picked up with Rose and I just basically binged straight through until I caught up to where Matt Smith was and then I've been an addict ever since and I I think that what resonates with me about it is just the way that the doctor firmly believes in everybody and the way that the doctor Mm -hmm has that ideology of the universe and how it can work and is and it makes it i feel like it made me into a better person and Mm -hmm. i feel like whenever i'm doing something that like ends up hurting someone it's when i'm like not doing what like the doctor would want me to do if that makes sense um so and it also like really resonated with me a lot especially in later seasons because it just happened to be that the start of Peter Capaldi's run happened to coincide with when I started taking hormones and started transitioning. So that era especially particularly really like fit with me because it just felt so mapped onto what I was going through when when the 12th Doctor was playing this like lost version of himself where he didn't quite know who he was and how the world saw him and what he was supposed to be. And that really meant a lot to me because I was just like starting this process of transitioning. And I remember this like scene of him talking to Clara in his first episode and saying like, I'm just standing in front of you and you don't see me. And do you know how painful that is? And that just meant so much to me about what I was going through and for him to go through that whole process. And then at the end of it, the doctor becomes a woman like that for me. was like, Oh my God, this like literally is my exact journey. So it's, (laughs) that was a big thing for me. Have you gone back and tried to watch any of the classic series? Yeah, I've actually gone through the whole pilgrimage, so I have, like, maybe, like, one or two more episodes. I, th- I think I basically have the end of Curse of Fenric, and then I have all of um, 
Oh, not Battlefield. What's the very last one? The the cat people one. Survival. Uh, survival. So I have yeah. I have Fenric and Survival, and then I'm done basically. Have you watched the '96 uh, TV movie? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just didn't know if like you know you've got Survival, but there's one more you could watch. Yeah, I actually saw the McGann one a while ago. I actually really like McGann's Doctor a lot. I've listened to a lot of his audio dramas on um, Big Finish. So I, as a completion, I mean, I but I. I got onto his movie pretty early on. I don't know if you remember back in, in, in 2013 when the 50th anniversary aired and BBC America did a series of retrospectives on each Doctor where mm-hmm. they had like a half-hour special that was like ex-Doctor Revisited and they would have actors from that era and like people that were involved as well as modern actors or, or Stephen Moffat and people like that talking about their thoughts on that Doctor's run. And when they originally aired, at the end of the episode, then they would actually have like an omnibus of, of like one of the most significant serials for that particular doctor. So like for Hartnell, they did the Aztecs right afterwards. Well, when they did McGann, all they had to show was the movie. And so it was like, you basically got the movie as if it was an episode of the show on TV. So that's how I finally saw it. Awesome. So you've experienced every doctor now. Do you, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I, well, like I said, Capaldi really meant a lot to me as far as, like, his arc and how it, it fit to me. So Capaldi has a very special place in my heart and literally inked onto my skin. So that's probably my favorite Doctor. And then if I have to go to the classic Doctors, I'm very partial to Troughton and Tom Baker. Well, along with that, uh, and this is something that I can't believe we've never never asked one of our guests before. Um, so picture the scene. You're, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it as if you were a role player, right? <clears throat> So you're outside, you hear this thrumming noise. The TARDIS manifests, it appears in front of you. The door opens with a creak, and the figure of the doctor emerges, maybe maybe stretches out their hand, offering you a trip. So which doctor would you want that to be? Who would you want to travel with, and where would you go? You get one trip, one doctor. Well... I have to say that I think the doctor would be my doctor from the game of Rassilon, and it would just be me <laughs> offering well somebody done. else a ride. Uh, I I am very much that type of Doctor Who fan, where I want to be the doctor more than I want to be anybody else. But if I have to, if I have to play your game, and I have to pick a doctor from the series, I actually think that I would pick. I think I would pick Capaldi, but it would have to be like series nine or ten capaldi when he's not quite so grumpy and sure uh where would we go i would want to go somewhere in the future and i would let him pick because i wouldn't want to i would i don't want to i want the doctor to take me on a journey that i've never seen before that's uh i like that i like yeah. that a lot my, my some of my favorite doctor who stories are weird planets like i i'm a giant fan of the christmas carol episode with matt smith where it's the this planet with the with the the vapors in the air with fish and all that kind of stuff happening and i'm a big fan of the mummy and the Orient express kind of stuff so i i'd want the doctor to take me some just some completely out of this place out of this world kind of future so yesterday speaking of doctor who uh it was announced that the next missing episode to get animated will be fury from the deep uh have you have you watched many of the uh recreations I've watched a few of them. I I remember like when I watched through my, my pilgrimage, the tenth planet was was like partially recreated with animation, and then also I've watched the uh, the the ooh, I, have, I haven't seen the Shada one yet, but I have seen the um, the Troughton one. Was it Power of the Daleks or Evil mm-hmm. of the Daleks? Power, Power of the Daleks. I watched that yeah. one. 
It's weird because when I went through my pilgrimage, like when I, uh, there was a few episodes that I couldn't get on, at the time I was watching them on Hulu and then I kind of switched over to BritBox when they moved over there. I, like, I went through with, speaking of Mission to the Unknown, when it came to the Daleks master plan, I painstakingly tracked down, like, the recreations that people made of those where it was, like, just the audio recordings and weird, like, still images and those kind of things. And I was all about piecing together this massive 12-part epic arc, right? But when it comes to the cartoons, I don't know why I'm just not as excited about them. And I think the reason why is that something about how the Doctor is animated and the way the characters are, it just feels like it strips away some of the emotions. Like, I love Patrick Troughton and I want all of Troughton's stories that they can to be restored because he suffers the most, in my opinion, from the missing episode issue. But... I don't know, it just feels like a soulless version of Troughton, so I just, as much as I want to see them, I also find myself struggling to actually get excited to watch them. I think that's a, a, a fair view. I mean, it's it could be like, oh, we're missing a Capaldi episode, don't worry, we're going to animate it, but we're not going to animate his eyebrows. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, we're not going to make his hair Troughton look amazing. his face so much more. Yeah! Right. Yeah! <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. just it's just like it's tough because I wish I wish that I know the problem is too they don't have a huge budget for these animations, so I but I wish they could so they could just get a little bit more like of that of that nature of that like and then like yeah I don't know. I will say that I saw the uh, Macrotera, I saw it a few months ago and it's great and and I thought that they did Trouton a lot better in that one way better than they did in Power of the Daleks. So well, hopefully, hopefully okay. you can get around to that one. Yeah, I'll, I'm excited to look at that one then. I'm sure, yeah, I, maybe, I'm, I hope that's the case. That sounds great. Maybe, maybe they're realizing, hey, there's a lot, there's money to be made in these, so we want to actually make these pretty effective. Yeah. It, it boggles that, that I've had access to the Macrotera for as long as I have and haven't watched it. it <laughs> it's sitting on my desktop. All I have to do is open it up and, and watch, and I haven't been able to bring myself to do it. And maybe it's just because once I do... Then there's no more Doctor Who for me to watch uh, until like you know the next season starts, and I, I feel like I'm kind of saving it for a time where I really, really need it. I think that's kind of how I feel about finishing my pilgrimage because I, I got I was really gung ho for a while, and then I kind of got to these last few McCoy uh, episodes, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to be done with it. I don't want to have to switch yeah, over yeah. to audios. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. Can you believe I have not finished The Web of Fear yet? Because that is like the last of the moving Doctor Whos that I've never seen. <laughs> so it's, oh, as weird it. as that sounds, I think it's parts five and six I haven't watched yet. I've been kind of dragging out my reading of the 13 Doctor comics for the same reason, because I like want to like try to like get caught up with them when the show comes back so that I can like be done. With, you know what I mean? So Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've held off on the Thirteenth Doctor comics until I get them all in trade. Um, once the new season starts, I want to read into read those while I move into the, the. I'm really into them. I if I can if I can sing the praises of them, they're fantastic. And I, to be fair, I am friends with Jody Hauser, who's the artist. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the writer of those, and I'm also friends with Rachel Stott, who does a lot of the artwork for them. So I'm a little bit biased. But I think that <laughs> that Jody does such a great job of writing the the Thirteenth Doctor and the TARDIS fam. Like I think that there's a chemistry to them in this comic that I think that like it took a little bit longer into the show even for them to get. So 
Way back in days of old, there was a legend told about a hero known as Galavan. Square jaw and perfect hair. Cowies out to there. There was no hero quite like Galavan. Tough, thus every other manly value. The man was speaking of, he had a lady love, and Madalena, she was one fair maiden. Long legs and perfect skin, a body built for sin, with cleavage you can hold a whole parade in. Ah, true love was never this ecstatic, nor as wildly acrobatic. Yes, he loved her to excess, thrice daily more or less, and she'd be screaming, <laughs> One tiny problem soon would arise. Richard, a nearby king of wealth and stature, he watched Madalena lost in his eyes, and he asked her for her hand. Well, more like a demand. Well, more like how his henchmen yeah. snatch her. Which brings us to today, the royal wedding day. No one can stop it now, but Galavant. Oh, Madalena waits behind King Richard's gate for the arrival of her gallivant. Now, at last begins a true adventure. Epic, wild, a real butt clencher. So, Hazard and Tally Ho, sit back and here we go. Attend the day of Let's talk a little bit about uh, shows that aren't Doctor Who. You know, we know that, I mean, obviously we've already talked about Star Wars as well. We know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of your fandom. So whenever we invite a guest on, we ask them to think about a show that they they also enjoy speaking about. Uh, so, Riley, why don't you tell us uh, what you brought for us and, and tell us why. <laughs> Drew, why don't you tell them about how long it took me to respond to your message when I when you asked me to think of a show? <laughs> <laughs> not as long as some of our other guests. Yeah, it was about 10 seconds, right? Like, it was, yeah. like, basically... <laughs> yeah, the show that I picked was Gallivant, the the short-lived ABC fantasy musical bizarre comedy series. And why? Why why Gallivant? I mean, I, I know why, but I'm, tell the audience. Well, <laughs> I... Way back in days of old, there was a legend told. Uh, uh, there's, I, it's just, it's glorious. I am a, I am a musical theater nerd. I am a D and D nerd. I love genre things. So everything about this was made for me. It is just this perfect. It first of all, it's it's Alan Menken writing parodies of Alan Menken's work for the most part. Like it's very much the guy who was the architect of an entire era of Disney music, essentially writing a thing that is like a self-aware parody of the things he was doing for Disney. Um, But it references not just Disney, but there's a lot of musical theater things that are in there. Um, There's a really fantastic parody of like a Les Mis kind of thing in the second season. So it just, it just sends up so many things that I, that I love, but it does it with such love. Like it doesn't have any contempt 
for the things that it's parroting. It's just pure love and celebration. And in fact, I was gonna, I was getting ready to say it has that weird Iankovic vibe to it, which is appropriate because Weird Iankovic has a cameo on the show. So <laughs> yeah. When did you first watch this show? Was it on first broadcast? I think I was about halfway through the first season's broadcast. I think people were talking about it, and I hadn't heard of it at all. And then I was like, wait, what is Galavant? And then like, out of just pure curiosity, I watched the the pilot, and I was hooked by like the opening credits. I was like, this is so good. I'm, this, is, this is for me. How, is this, how did this even get made? How is this on television? And it was like before the big blow-up of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was like another huge musical TV explosion. But this was like, I think just like about six months before that broke. And so it was like, I, the idea of there being a weekly TV series that was also a musical blew my mind. Brent, had you seen it before we uh, started watching it for this podcast? No, I remember when it came out and uh, sorry, I thought it was a horrible idea because I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a fan of musicals. I, I love movies about music, but not actual musicals. Uh, you know, people walking along. What's it? What's it like to have they... no no soul or joy in your life? <laughs> well, my wife loves them, so I do watch them. Okay. With her, uh, and there have been a few that have surprised me that I actually liked. But um, I was a little wary when I found out the show we were watching this month. But I have to say, like you, right after the opening credits in the pilot, I was also hooked, and I really liked it. And it was it was really funny. It was very meta really self-referential which was hilarious uh not too terribly over the top um like you said alan minkin did all the lyrics uh was created by dan fogelman who does yeah this is us which is so crazy like what a weird like like right like i mean i know he's done like a lot of shows because he also he also wrote cars and he wrote tangled so you know he knows how to write like a fairy tale type story, oh, but okay. it is such a weird be like let's go from Galavant to this is us and yeah. But yeah, it's it's definitely got street cred. But another thing I was re- impressed by was the number of big name guest stars on here, like Vinnie Jones, of course. Uh, well, he's, John a, he's Stamos. a cast. He's a cast member. Vinnie Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Stamos, Rutger Hauer, Ricky Gervais, Anthony Head, and like you said, Weird Al Yankovic playing a singing monk that was my funniest scene of the whole show to me was that but um and a really good storyline i thought also too yeah the monks the singing monks yeah they could only sing there's a couple yeah there's a (laughs) and there's a couple of like jokes that i i cringe at like there's a few like a little bit too meta a little bit too self-aware like like ricky gervais's character is named xanax and he's a wizard that makes you feel better and i was like "Ah, all right that's a little bit too on the nose but then again in the next season there's a gag where there's a character whose name is neo of sporin so that and that one i liked (laughs) like that one i thought was funny and there's a there's a ridiculous joke that is like just for people in la and i i can't believe that they actually made it onto the show which is when they're like looking for directions and somebody says there's like um there's an air like that when they go to Sporin to get the healer whose name is Neo, there's also an arrow pointing to like some grove. And one of the characters goes, Oh, the grove has a great apple cart. And it's a reference to the fact that the grove is a shopping center in Los Angeles that has an apple store. And I was like, What a ridiculous <laughs> joke to put in there. So that kind of thing is so funny. And I, I like that it's like that aware, that kind of stuff. Uh, Drew, have you seen it before? You know, um, when it first came on TV, I had uh, quite a few friends who would get together and watch it. But like you, Brent, I wasn't much of a, a musical theater 
fan. I don't dislike it. It's just not something that is a part of my my regular day to day. Right. Uh, and that may have to change after watching Gallivant. Um, like the both of you, the opening song uh, was very catchy to the point where. I've had at least two sleepless nights where it has in- <laughs> invaded my dreams and I couldn't get it out of my head. To the- I, had to, I had to get up and do something else. Um, because of Gallivant, I have been researching how to get rid of earworms. Uh, it's, it's right now, the one that has been working uh, the best was fairly recently, I think it was Steve Colbert, was like, you have to get another earworm that is shorter and doesn't have a repetition, So, but it still is musical. So the the... By Menon. If you just repeat that over and over, <laughs> that has really helped. But between Gallivant and Lizzo, I have really had a couple of sleepless nights. Um, it, I, uh, honest to God, I thought about writing a musical introduction to this podcast. I was going to do a you whole, could. you know, introducing Riley, introducing Brent, reading the podcast. But then, I'm like, I'm going to have to sit and listen to that song again, and I've it's spent. I've spent a week getting it out of my head. Well, that's and why I, I love the show is even self-aware of it. And that like in the season two premiere, Gallivant starts to sing it. And there's like people who like threaten to kill him if he sings any more of it. <laughs> and there's like a running gag of like, we're not going to sing that song all season. And that's like, that's exactly like the, the show knows how ridiculous his own theme song is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, we sat down to watch it and I think that streaming is, it really behooves a show like this because I'm not 100% sure if I had watched the first episode, I would have waited weeks in between. Um, mm-hmm. But being able to watch two or three episodes at a time really was a, quite a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, we watched the first one and said, nope, this is good. I'm I'm so excited for this. And we I think we watched both seasons in maybe a week, maybe even more than that. We were watching three or four episodes a night. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with a friend of mine who is a big musical theater nerd, and she had never seen it, and I, like, sat her down to watch one of them, and then it became, like, the rest of that, like, next week and a half, like, we, we kept making plans to hang out and, like, watch, like, three or four more at a time until we'd watched all 18 of them. I have coworkers at my library who are big Gallivant fans, and so, you know, first thing when they would come in and be like, so where are you at now? And I would explain the last thing, I'm like, oh, you know. You were talking to me about the show, and I remember you asked me to give you, like, a handful of episodes that you could watch so that you would have a few right. a- aware of for the show. And I was, like, trying to think because it's so hard to handpick these ones because it's so serialized. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like, the next day, I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm just going to watch the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. this is So, I mean, you know, it, it, listeners of the podcast will know that it is the kind of my M.O. to watch – yeah, I, I, just one or two episodes of something, enough to get the gist. And and Brent usually will watch all of it. Uh, and I had a, I I watched both of the the seasons before I even started episode one. I think. Um, in fact, I went back and rewatched a couple of episodes too because I I kind of wanted to see. To see knowing how the story ended, I I wanted to see kind of where it began again. Yeah, and I actually really like to just randomly throw songs from it on, like, YouTube. Like, I'll just go and, like, watch, like, a playlist of songs if I don't have... And, like, it's also a good good show for me. It kind of has that sick day vibe for me. Like, if I'm, like, feeling really crummy and I'm, like, I need to, like, rest, it's a show that I can just kind of throw on and and feel like comfort food TV show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could... Absolutely. No, I I absolutely can see that. Um, I I think if I knew the show... Like if I was familiar enough with the the program to know the songs by heart, I think it would be even more enjoyable. And 
you know, I the few musicals that I do know and I'm familiar with, and I, I do enjoy singing along. You know, like I'll go to a Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it's really enjoyable to to sing along with the, the yeah. shadow cast. So yeah, I think this this even though they're very different genre wise and even tone wise, I feel like it shares DNA at Rocky Horror, and like it's aware of its own campiness and it's aware of its own audience. And that's that's like a thing that I think is it's some musicals are and some musicals aren't, and so I, I think that's part of what I find so endearing about it. You also, you don't find campy uh, fantasy all that often. No, you know, it's it, it, usually when you find it, it's not good. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really like there was a show that was on Comedy Central that was like a Comedy Central BBC production about five years earlier, I think, and I can't remember what it was called now, but I remember it was very hit or miss, and I remember it had it had Matt Lucas on it. Speaking of Doctor Who. But now I can't remember what it was called. But I remember thinking like, oh, it just it just kind of it was it just hit the mark. It just didn't hit the mark for some reason. And I, and I think it's because I think there's something about parody has to truly love what it's parodying. And I think that this was like more parodying what like it didn't like about certain tropes or whatever. Maybe I don't remember. But sometimes I feel like they laugh at us rather than with us. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a favorite character in this? I think by the end, I think that King Richard became my favorite character. I think mm-hmm. that, and there's a lot of characters that I love. I think everyone has like some pretty good moments. Um, but I think that, especially in the second season, like Richard really comes into his own. Like he's a little bit obnoxious in the first season, but I think just through the sheer charm of Timothy Amundsen, like it's just it's fun to watch him. And um, like mild spoiler alert, but season two has a lot more screen time of Richard and Gallivant together, and I think that pairing those two up for the second season was a really genius move because they play off each other so well. And the first, not that the first season isn't good as well, because there's so many great things in the first season, but I just think that there's something about the like bromance between Gallivant and Richard that I think really like gave the show an extra boost up in quality and was really fun to watch. How about you, Brent? Who'd you like? Oh, King Richard for me too, definitely. He was hilarious. And, you know, he tried to be all big and bad, but he was really just a wimp that was really indecisive and unsure of everything and always asking for advice. (laughs) And my favorite scene overall was the eunuch scene where the king had everyone kick him between the legs to see that it didn't hurt. (laughs) And then he walks over and he pretends he's going to kick him and then he says, uh, tickle, tickle. (laughs) That was my favorite scene. That's really funny. I'm trying to think if I had a favorite scene. Uh, I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry, Drew. Sorry, Drew. Oh, I, I have. You know, I have a. I have a favorite scene and favorite character. Both of them. Uh, it's not going to surprise anyone that uh, my favorite scene involves my favorite character. Of course, is is Richard. Um, hands down. Even in, I think overall, I preferred season one to season two. Not that I have anything against season two. It, it did some really wonderful things, but I think the structure of the story was very tight, uh, and I really. I, I kind of got invested in what the characters were doing, um, but Richard's hands down. Um, and I think my favorite scene is, and again, spoilers, uh, we'll put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this anyway, is the uh, getting drunk, getting prepared to execute his big brother. Yes, uh, I, it's just, so great. 
just, you know, belting out this, this, we're going to kill him. and We're off on a secret mission. We're off on a secret (laughs) plot. Yeah. And then, like, they're running on, secret, secret, hush, hush, hush. (laughs) Oh, it's so, and the best part is, one of my favorite types of gags in those kind of situations is when they've been super loud this whole time, but there's one shot of them sneaking across, like, one foyer, and then it's like, they're super quiet (laughs) while doing it. And then they that. That was my favorite scene, hands yeah. down. Favorite favorite scene on, on both seasons because I I cackled, I laughed so hard. I figured I thought I missed something. We went back and rewatched that one. Oh, I just had a. I know because you asked me a favorite song too, and I just had picked one out, and now I can't remember what it was again. But I think and reason, I think season one. I think you're right about it being more tightly scripted and kind of comes together better. I think season two I just prefer because I think I like the songs of season two better. Mm-hmm. But then I rewatched season one, and I'm like, wait, I love all these songs too. So I don't know, I don't know what I, what what I want to. But I think one of my favorite scenes is the scene in season two when they're in the forest of coincidence, and so they're just right. keeping this running gag of like, oh, but I don't have any shoes on. Well, that's weird. I just happen to find these boots that happen to be this size. Oh, that's weird. Like it's just <laughs> that's such a funny gag to me. Well, so much, so much media. Is about that that coincidence, right? You know, like yeah. you have the item that is going to do that, and, and you you know the exposition, or that, you know, or are you and I as as gamers, when you're writing a game for someone, you know you have to provide that sort of information, and it's like, what are the chances that, uh, you know, your character is the one, the chosen one from prophecy? You know, it well, it has yeah. to be because otherwise there would be a totally different story. So. Yeah, and there's so many just like random lines that and that I think are really clever on this show. Like I'm a big fan of the I, I don't love overall the kind of like rin, the princess rap battle they have, but there's a line in it that's like your castle and your ass will be mine, and it <laughs> yeah. was just such a good turn of phrase that I'm like I I can't not love that. Um, I also I'm a big fan of the the uh, Kylie Minogue uh, gay bar reveal song. Where it's just like her singing about her enchanted forest and how they're trapped, like they're trapped there. That that song gets in my head a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I love you... the gag of the gay bar where the secret to getting out of the gay bar is just open the door for the women's bathroom, and it's just an open door into the wilderness. Because <laughs> they never had a use for it. Yes, they never built one. I do love that they replaced they they replaced Galavant's dad in season two and just never acknowledged it. <laughs> Yeah, I was really confused. I was like, that's not his dad. Yeah. That's not Giles. Yeah. Sorry, you, you were talking about Amundsen? Well, uh, no, I just, uh, I kept on thinking, how have I never seen this actor before? My God, his timing is amazing. He's yeah. just, that beard is, fan- that beard and hair is fantastic. And then someone's like, oh yeah, he's the guy on Psych. And I'm like, what? Yeah. And I went back and rewatched Psych and went, this is, um, this is insane. This is insane. Yeah, he's born to play the King Richard type character, and it's just it's it's shame that he's not doing more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it was a it's a, a an amazing actor and just a damn looking man. And um, he super believes in Tad Cooper. <laughs> Tech. Yeah, I I think we finished finished the season. Shows uh, show up, and I'm like, so do we do we get a bearded dragon and name him Tad Cooper? Like, is that just who we are now yeah well had let's say they hadn't canceled well you know ended at the end of season two you know what would you and i know and it's weird because i think are you about to say that 
the rumors have started spreading? Well, here's the thing. Yes and no. Like, it's it's funny that that happened to be a story that broke this week when I knew we were recording this episode. Because, like, yeah, so the actress who played Isabella, Karen David, was, like, quoted as saying how she would like to do more of it. And that, and I, I, I'm a really big, dis- I'm a, a, not a fan, the opposite of a fan of the clickbait journalism move of asking an actor if they would want to do more of a show and then having the actor say yes they would and then acting like that's a story like yeah of course this cast would be happy to do more of this show because it's a super fun show to work on but like there's no movement anywhere of anyone saying they're going to make more of the show it's just karen david said yeah the whole cast would love to do it if we had the chance to and she did say in that interview that that Fogelberg had, like, a seven-season arc planned out, which surprised me, because it does feel like season two, uh, Fogelman, not Fogelberg. <laughs> a, little, a little bit different if Dan Fogelberg... Okay. Um, <laughs> that'd be a very different show. A lot of very different music in that case. But, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'm kind of surprised to hear that, that, that Fogelman had five more years of this show planned out because season two feels like it ends in such a perfect place with a little bit of like, Oh, there's, there's somewhere else this could go. But knowing that it did like, yeah, I'm very curious as to know like where it was going after that. Sure. I mean, what it seems like we've got, uh, you know, evil queen who sort of was kind of being, having a redemption arc uh, through love suddenly becomes more actually becomes like less about like kind of nudgy and and i hate to say bitchy but like it kind of like manipulative suddenly becomes evil which i didn't feel was a i kind of just turned me off a little bit to that it reminded me of uh the tv show once where the the wicked the wicked queen uh kept on changing she's good no she's bad no she's good no she's bad again i just turned it off but um yeah, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm not a fan of shows that do that. Like that was a thing that Heroes did a lot with Zachary Quinto's character, uh, where he felt so one dimensional because they just made him good or evil depending on what the plot needed that week, and it turned me off till I eventually stopped watching it as well. And yeah. I'm okay with like having watched the show a bunch of times in a row now. I think that like I'm okay with Madalena's arc a bit more because I feel like she's never a good character. Like it's her love story with with Vinnie Jones is still like yeah, but we're still the people who overthrew a king and took over his kingdom and were like Vinnie Jones's way of showing love to her is by cutting off the ears of the women who mock her. And so it's like, right. It's still a villain love, but then yeah, the, so the idea that she is someone who her whole arc in this series has been her obsession with power and wanting to take over power. And then this other character gives her the key to this like evil, like, like actual like dark arts kind of power so her dark, following dark that, yeah, the, the dark, dark ways, um, um, uh, dark, dark, evil ways. That's right. So, which is yeah. maybe one of the jokes that I'm like, okay, do the, do, I get it. Do the, oh, do, no, do. It, it got I, old after the first time. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And like, that's one thing where I'm like, like, cause I know that he was like, that was the, the, the do was the dark, dark, evil ways. And then the like potential villain for the next season was the, the, dark evil lord that they called the Dell and it was like alright I don't need that kind of stuff because I know there would have been like that's the Dell's taco or some stupid thing like that so <laughs> it's just like although I did like the gag where the 
the evil schemer was also the wedding planner, but he was actually a wedding planner. And like, so there was a whole gag of like, this is the plot. This is the wedding plan and how like the, the evil plot and the wedding plan would get mixed up in the conversation. And then there's that gag at the end of the second season where it's like, Oh, it's, Oh, this is a necklace. He wants you to accessorize more. Like that's kind of a like silly little gag, but <laughs> I, yeah, I have a feeling that's where that plot would have gone was like, would it be redemption from Adelina or would she have ultimately become like the series, like biggest villain or who knows. But so yeah. I, I'd be curious to see what the overall like story Bible was for this show. But I, I'm also of the mindset of that. It, it's so rare that a show ends in such a like, pretty well wrapped up way that if they if they do make more i'd be happy to see it but i also feel like i'm pretty okay with where it ended you know i think there's i think more television shows just need to end um you get a good story and it's like you know let's let's end on a high point and uh you know rather than how well is it really doing well can we get like five more seasons out of an immense uh, almost without fail, it's going to be diminishing returns. Yep. And I think the UK does this a lot better than the the US. Yeah, I, like I think The Good Place is a good example of a show. Like they went ahead and said, like you know, we're we're at the end of the story that we wanted to tell, so we're just going to finish it with this season and wrap it up, which I think is a good way to do it. Yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't wait for this. It's a good place to end, so we can talk about that on this program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of This Is Us, they're doing the same thing with that one too. They said six seasons. That's it. That's it. They've already Dan Fogelman did his entire six season arc and said, "This is what we're gonna do. I don't care how popular it is. Six is gonna be it." So I, well, I, I think when you do that, you really have a beginning, middle, and end, not yeah. just like sort of end, like Lost did. Lost went yeah. too long. But even Lost is a show where they like said, "Hey," because ABC wanted Lost to keep going, and the writers of Lost were like, "No, we're gonna wrap it up." And then it felt like they were rushed wrapping it up. Yeah, and then the same thing. Like, like some shows should have kept going. Like, like maybe Game of Thrones could have used a few more seasons with different showrunners and like <laughs> had a better chance to <laughs> land the plane. But so there is something to be said. But the difference between Game of Thrones, I think, versus like a show like this, is that Game of Thrones had a lot more story to tell, whereas like and it was condensing it down. Whereas this show, who knows if it actually had a arc or not. But for me, it's like I'm glad that I can just go. This is two shows that have i mean this is a show that has two seasons that are almost perfect so i never have the issue of being like oh well seasons five and six of gallivant were unwatchable or something like that yeah yeah though i think i think the final season of game of thrones really could have used a full musical number oh i'd be down (laughs) for that the problem is it wouldn't have been very well lit Oh, that's true. I mean, it's. I mean, I think we could safely put our money down that eventually we will see a large scale production of Game of Thrones, the musical, on on the stage. You might. We might see something like that. I don't. I don't know. I boy, I can't imagine trying to condense that story down into even a three or four hour musical. He said his name was Snow. <laughs> <laughs> As the bodies. As, as as characters die, they just stay on the stage until there's just no room for anybody else. Yeah. I know that, like, R plus J, I mean, R plus L equals J would be, like, a show-stopping number. Right, right, right. <laughs> Spoilers for yeah. Game of Thrones, I guess. They don't know what that <sighs> means. Right. So, uh, Riley, do you have any upcoming projects that you'd uh, like to tell our listeners about? Um, when will this be dropping? Uh, this will be dropping on Halloween. Yep. Ooh. 
Um, so yeah, it'll be a little too late to talk about Hooper Schools. So I will say that I think the best thing is Game of Rassilon. I think that's that's probably the thing because um, well, if you're watching this on Halloween or around the week of Halloween, I should say that if if it's, you're still in November of 2019 when you hear this, my D and D show, The Broken Pact, which is officially on the D and D Twitch channel, uh, you can also find it on their uh, YouTube channel, and you can also find it on the podcast network for the the channel called Saving Throw Show because that's who produces it. We are about to wrap up our third season, so you can check that out. We are currently in the setting of Avernus, so if you want to see me and three other great players and a DM go to hell, then check out this season of Broken Pack. <laughs> uh, the first two seasons of the show, we were actually on the plane of Ravnica, which was a different D&D book that we originally launched in, and we moved into Avernus when the like overall campaign was going that way. So that's really fun. It's called The Broken Pact, and... Also, as mentioned above, yeah, the game of Rassilon, which is a Doctor Who role, actual play role-playing podcast. Our entire first season is available in podcast form, and our second season will be premiering in early 2020. So there's a good chance that our show will be airing at the same time as actual Doctor Who. <laughs> in theory. <laughs> I hope. Well, before we let you go, where can folks find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman or on Instagram at Riley Silverman. Riley, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Who and Company. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. I don't want to bail. I do. You do. Oh, yes, I want to bail. Your mama out of jail when she gets arrested for prostitution. You know what, John, it's... It's 12.56. The mm. your mama jokes, they're getting really old. Mm. So is your mama. Seriously, John, it's getting really worn out. Don't! Your mama. I cannot thank you enough. Come here, you. Hey, I've only ever hugged one man in my life. That was the day my father died. I squeezed that rotten bastard to death. Right. We'll hug later. Good talk.